Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. It is Monday on the Three Martini Lunch. So glad you are with us. Hope you had a wonderful Independence Day weekend. We're back. We're both here, actually, for the first time in more than two weeks. Uh, he's Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks to Rob Long, to Chad Benson, to Rich McFadden for filling various seats over the past couple of weeks. So, Jim, we're tanned, rested, and ready for no crazy news for the foreseeable future, right? <laughs> milliseconds and milliseconds of normalcy so far. So. <laughs> Exactly. We're also brought to you today by ExpressVPN. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit our exclusive link at expressvpn.com slash martini. All right, we've got good, crazy, and crazy martinis today. Let's start with the actual good, and it comes from the U.S. Supreme Court, which, yes, is handing down decisions in July uh, I guess that's what happens when you kind of get held up by pandemics. But uh, Jim, a nine to nothing decision today. This is not a five four. Trying to figure out which way John Roberts woke up, uh, which side of the bed he woke up on today. This one nine nothing, and it deals with faithless electors. CNN: The Supreme Court said Monday that states can punish members of the Electoral College who break a pledge to vote for a state's popular vote winner in presidential elections. The case comes as the election season is heating up, putting the Electoral College once again front and center in an increasingly polarized and volatile political atmosphere. Anyway, in 2016, 10 of the 538 presidential electors went rogue, attempting to vote for someone other than their pledged candidate. In all 32 states and the District of Columbia have laws that are meant to discourage faithless electors, but until 2016, no state had ever actually punished or removed an elector because of his or her vote. Justice Kagan with the majority opinion here. Today, we consider whether a state may also penalize an elector for breaking his pledge and voting for someone other than the presidential candidate who won his state's popular vote. I'm guessing some folks are going to have trouble with her masculine wording there, Jim. But uh, nonetheless, uh, they said Washington State, three Democratic electors voted for Colin Powell. Uh, one of them voted for Keystone XL Pipeline protester Faith Spotted Eagle, and the court held up $1,000 fines for each of them. Uh, in Colorado, a Clinton elector sought to vote for John Kasich and was actually removed and referred for potential perjury prosecution. So, Jim, we've often talked about how, you know, you signed up to vote for your party's candidate if they won the state, and then these people try to make some sort of statement. Uh, it's never actually affected the outcome of an election. But I think we like this not only because it actually requires electors to do the job they were hired to do, but I think, I think it'll also strengthen the case against this pact of blue states for whoever wins the national popular vote when uh, Kagan and the court are very specific here about the importance of who won the state popular vote. Yeah, this is a good decision. It, I think it's a needed decision. Um, it's not often you see those 9-0 decisions, and when you do, it probably means it's a pretty compelling argument. Now, if this same decision had come up, well, first, I don't think this would have ended up going before the Supreme Court if we hadn't seen this slowly but significantly growing trend of faithless electors. I think there was somebody back in 2004 who wrote John Edwards as the presidential choice and John Kerry as the vice presidential choice. And it didn't really change anything. And so it just kind of turns into this historical footnote. And most of the time, you just kind of look at it. It's kind of an oddball. Okay, fine. Whatever that weirdo decided to do, it doesn't change the outcome. 
we'll just put that into the official record and that's fine. But we saw something a little bit different in 2016. Um, we saw the argument from folks who were so shocked and horrified that Donald Trump had won the election, the argument that Republican electors should not vote for him and that they should somehow, they should write it, they should decide to cast ballots for Hillary, they should, you know, pick somebody else and all that stuff. Now, as you know, as you laid out there, Greg, you actually saw more Democratic electors who were supposed to vote for Hillary Clinton go rogue and decide, oh, I'm going to, you know, write in uh, Colin Powell or, or something like that. It, it, you know, and it's one of those things where, like, look, it is really not hard to imagine a scenario where if this trend kept growing, you could end up with really post-presidential election chaos where the American people thought they had voted for some guy and that person got more than 270 electoral votes, but it's close, maybe not a 269-269 type outcome, but let's say something akin to George W. Bush versus Al Gore, one where it comes down to only three or four electoral votes. And then all of a sudden, three or four people decide, hey, you know what? This is my chance to make history. And I just kind of feel like this is reflective of a cultural change we've seen, Greg, that um, perhaps, you know, throughout most of American history, the reason you saw so few faithless electors was this sense instilled in everybody who was selected to be an elector, a sense of duty, right? You gave people your word. You are there. People voted for, effectively for you on the belief that you were going to vote for a particular candidate. And changing your mind after they put you in that position represents a betrayal of sorts, that you're not actually serving some sort of higher purpose or noble cause, but that's something kind of narcissistic about it. Um, you know, Ross do that has talked a lot about how people who are in positions of responsibility uh, increasingly see their positions as a platform for what they believe in instead of as a stewardship, instead of, you know, being you know, their job is to take care of others and to consider what others needs and desires and what they want are. Um, it's not hard to imagine a scenario where we see more of this, where people start seeing being a presidential lecturer as a, well, you know, maybe a good way to get a reality TV show or something like that, or turn themselves into little mini political celebrities of some kind. So whether these laws will, as a deterrent, will necessarily really stop it, I certainly hope it does. And I think the court was completely correct on this. It's reassuring to see all nine justices all saying, yes, absolutely. States sure as heck can punish you if you uh, uh, are a faithless elector and you don't do what you promised you were going to do. And so, Jim, just to follow up on this uh, pack that's been going on, mostly in blue states, obviously, that uh, whoever wins the national popular vote should get the, the, the state's electoral votes. And I'm guessing that if this ever comes to the Supreme Court, it might not be a nine to zero decision because sometimes politics intervenes in mm. these uh, verdicts. Uh, but do you think this is a good precedent for the constitutional side here? I think so. Um, and again, you know, one of those circumstances is that if you are a faithless elector who says, well, yeah, candidate A won my state, but candidate B won the popular vote, therefore I'm going to cast my ballot for, for B. You're basically saying the will of the rest of the country matters more than your state. Except you weren't selected as an elector for the whole country. You were elected a, selected as, a, as an elector for your state, for your candidate. And I think it just kind of represents this sort of um, people who are kind of comfortable with sort of a bait and switch mentality towards life. I will say whatever I have to say, do whatever I have to do to get into a position of power, and then I will completely forget everything I said, all my pledges, all my responsibilities, and I'll just do whatever I want, which is a mentality I think we need to stamp out in this country rather than pouring gasoline onto the fire. 
I think a $1,000 fine might need to be stiffened a little bit for uh, <laughs> some of these folks. I'm not sure that's the world's greatest deterrent. But uh, hey, let's talk about other types of deterrents. And that's uh, people trying to hack into your internet and uh, folks trying to figure out where you've been online. Uh, I know a lot of you are thinking about different times that perhaps you've uh, Googled the, the electrician that you need to come to your house. So who would be a good one in our area? Now, the next thing you know, you open up your your inbox uh, for your email and there's a bunch of sidebar ads for electricians or plumbers or whatever you need or you know looking for for gifts for people but you don't want them to know what you've been looking for and that that starts popping up in your social media feeds and everything else well there's a way to make sure that doesn't happen to you and also to protect everything that matters to you when you are working online like your banking and other things and that's express vpn most of you are probably thinking why don't you just use incognito mode when you're trying to keep the, the world from knowing exactly what you just searched for. But let me tell you something, incognito mode does not hide activity. It doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history. Your internet service provider can still see every single website you've ever visited. And that's why even when you're at home, you should never go online without using ExpressVPN. It doesn't matter if you get your internet from Verizon or Comcast or any other ISP. Internet service providers in the United States can legally sell your information to ad companies. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers, so your ISP can't see which sites you're visiting. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, people are using the internet to have ExpressVPN don't even realize that they have it on. It runs seamlessly in the background and is so easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you are protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, phones, computers, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse to not use it. Protect your online activity today. You can do it right now with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Wired. Visit our exclusive link, expressvpn.com martini, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's ExpressVPN, E-X-P-R-E-S-S, VPN.com slash martini, expressvpn.com slash martini to learn more. All right, Jim, on to our first crazy. And you know, you see these memes on social media and elsewhere when a new month comes in. I think the one for July was, hey, July, welcome. Just sit there in the corner and don't cause any trouble, right? Uh, because we've seen a lot of crazy things happen throughout 2020 from the destruction of statues to the pandemic and, and all sorts of other things going on here. But now we've got bubonic plague. So July did not behave. Uh, BBC, according to authorities in China, they've stepped up precautions after a city in the Inner Mongolia Autonomous Region confirmed a case of bubonic plague. According to state reports, the patient who is a herdsman is in quarantine and in stable condition. Officials said they were also investigating a second suspected case, according to China's Global Times. The good news, of course, is that this isn't the 1300s. The bubonic plague, once the world's most feared disease, can now be easily treated. But Jim, uh, just because uh, it's easily treated in most parts of the world, I'm not sure in outer Mongolia or inner Mongolia, whatever this is, doesn't mean it's not going to potentially take some lives. And it's also coming at the same time where uh, Fauci's out there saying, oh, hey, the coronavirus has uh, mutated. So now it's even more contagious than it was before. So uh, good times to start the new week on the uh, epidemiological front. Yeah, yeah, we should you know clarify, at least as, as far as we know so far, not more lethal, but more contagious, which is still pretty darn bad. 
Greg, I got to point out, first of all, as you're reciting the litany of calamities of 2020, (laughs) it says something about the year that you didn't even mention murder hornets. Because it's not just that they can, you know, one, the name Murder Hornets. That's some championship branding there. You know, nothing, it's not, it's not even an aggravated manslaughter hornet. It's a murder hornet. And they have these little angry orange faces that are scary as all hell. But, you know, no, apparently we're not worried about them anymore. Now, when you suggested this topic as a, as something we could talk about today, my first thought was that you were talking about the G4 Eurasian avian-like H1N1 virus that they discovered in pigs in China that have, quote, the essential hallmarks of being highly adapted to infect humans that they discovered earlier in July, but that's different from this Mongolian uh, bubonic plague outbreak. So China, three for three in terrifying contagious diseases so far this year, although I guess technically Corona, H1, I guess uh, technically the SARS-CoV-2 counts as late 2019. Um, yeah, just don't leave your house ever, America. No, I'm just kidding. Um, it's not quite that. And thankfully, these latter two are... Not quite as bad, but uh, look, if 2020 has had any lesson, it's um, don't put too much faith in the Chinese government's ability to contain a virus. That's, uh, that's like, you know, putting Jazane Maxwell in the same building that uh, Jeffrey Epstein was in. <laughs> what, what could go wrong, right? Yeah, murder hornets has caught on, I think, largely because uh, we haven't really seen a major problem with the murder hornets so far. But, you know, we've got these uh, professional sports franchises who are now reassessing their mascots because of the, uh, the, the current climate and the culture, Redskins and the Indians. Uh, do you think one of them ends up with murder hornets? Oh, my goodness. That'd be awesome, right? <laughs> I mean, like, you know, the Washington murder hornets. That, that would frighten me. That would I, – I would not want to get out the field against a buzzing herd of, of murder hornets. Uh, rename the basketball team immediately. Just make it much <laughs> scarier and tougher. That's right. Michael Jordan, get on that. Big orangey yellow and uh, black color. And that'd be pretty scary. That'd be great. That'd, that'd be, I think, think of the giant, lovable, huggable mascot, you know? Yes. It's a strange year when the bubonic plague is the third least concerning uh, issue coming <laughs> out of China on the health front. So... Oh, man. But, you know, the other NFL news I saw today, Jim, is that the NFLPA, the, uh, the union, they don't want uh, 11 on 11 drills in camp. So these teams are going to be totally ready for opening day. <laughs> All the excitement of preseason football in the regular season. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our final martini, our crazy martini here. And let's keep talking about sports because, you know, with uh, the NFL doing its thing and, and other, other sports trying to get back on schedule here, the NBA kind of went back and forth on what to do with the reopening. Uh, there's some players who aren't going to be part of the reopening, but, but pretty soon, if they're not on their way already, uh, the teams that are still in contention for playoff spots and, and so forth are going to be headed to the Orlando bubble. Not the Orlando Magic. I mean, they're literally a bubble in Orlando where they're going to house all these people and, and let the season play out. But of course, uh, being perhaps the wokest of the major professional sports uh, leagues this year, the National Basketball Players Association and the NBA have decided that it's really important for players to be allowed to have personalized messages on their jerseys. But Jim, you're not allowed to just have any message. Your personal message has to be among those listed and approved by the NBA and the Players Association. So, for example, you can have Black Lives Matter on your jersey, say their names, vote, I can't breathe, justice, peace, equality, freedom, enough, power to the people, justice now, 
Si se puede, liberation, see us, hear us, respect us. On and on it goes. I don't see free Hong Kong anywhere on here, Jim, uh, or anything else. Uh, Google Uyghurs was another idea that some folks had. So there's nothing better than free speech where you have to choose your free speech from a pre-approved list. I was about to say, it's freedom from the menu options. We're enabling you to say what you really think by giving you a pre-approved select options that you're allowed to choose from uh, because they've, they've test marketed and, and all that kind of stuff and won't anger our masters in Beijing. Oh, I shouldn't use that term. Our, our corporate, heavily, uh, our heavily influential financial sponsors in Beijing. Um, I think this obviously makes a mockery of the concept of freedom of speech. The, you know, uh, I, look, in a lot of these cases, a lot of these, you know, uh, you know, maybe you believe these are noble causes, maybe you believe they're not so noble causes at all. I don't think there's any dispute now. This is now corporate marketing. This is now branding. This is now basically a way to attract good public relations, to uh, hopefully build some uh, credibility and support amongst uh, younger consumers. Um, I mean, you know, if you, if you, I wrote about this a couple of days ago. Um, check how many African Americans are on the board of directors of Nike. Zero. Check how many board, how many minorities are on the board of directors of Adidas. Zero. Whether or not our friends on the left recognize this, they have been completely co-opted by some of the most powerful and lucrative institutions in America, arguably in the world, and they've had it turned into a brand. They've had it turned into a marketing thing. And the fact that everybody in the NBA seems okay with this, and the fact that nobody in the NBA seems to think that there should be, a, you know, if you're going to have the freedom to put slogans on the backs of your jerseys, you should be able to put whatever slogan you want to put on it. You don't have the idea, like, no, no, we've decided that none of these will irritate our advertisers. You know, that, that's the, the, I, this is basically a simulation of freedom of speech instead of actual freedom of speech. But I think it says something that everybody's basically going to be okay with it because what's important to them is to appear to be supporting freedom of speech in, instead of having the actual messy freedom of speech that might cost them a sponsorship of the Chinese market or something like that. Courage. It's all about courage, Jim, <laughs> here in the NBA. Uh, the last in carefully controlled circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> the last two, uh, I guess, uh, from a conservative perspective, you could possibly use. I didn't uh, name the whole list here. The last two are education reform, which I think uh, you and I would be uh, supportive of, although probably not in the way the NBA intends it. And mentor. Uh, mentorship would, uh, is always a good thing. One of these is group economics. Is that endorsing collectivism or, or what's behind that? That seems very vague to me. You know, there's nothing like a multi-million dollar athlete running around with, the, with collective economics on the back of his jersey. <laughs> I'll remind him that of salary negotiation. Didn't you sit out last camp because you want another you know, bigger signing bonus? Okay. Yes. LeBron. Greed's the worst should be one they should be able to put on there. You know. LeBron, your salary and mine need to be the same. So let's average them out. There you go. That's how this is going to work out for us all to become one again. Jim, good to be back with you. Uh, fun week ahead, I'm sure. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Karumbas, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Do not forget about our great sponsor, ExpressVPN, the VPN rated number one by both CNET and Wired, expressvpn.com slash martini. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch. Leave us a kind review with five stars. Also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. And join us again, please, on Tuesday for the next Three Martini Lunch.